All right, everyone. How you doing? I'm Sergio from the Dodgeball Podcast International Series, and here with me, I have my first Spartan. Uh, how you doing, man? Yeah, very good. Thank you. All right. So let these people know who you are, man. What team you play for? Um, are you, you know, you know, just pretty much your accolades? Um, I'm uh, David. Most people in the Dodgeball community know me as Jeff. Um, I'm the current... Um, kind of men's performance coach for Spartans, um, also play for them. Um, also currently the men's head coach for England Dodgeball. Um, been around the community for kind of 10 plus years. Um, played for my university team in Derby, then moved on to Meteors, uh, won a few things with those guys and then um, helped um, the guys in Spartans sort of set up and uh, helping the guys uh, obviously over the last few years uh, grow um, and, you know, perform as such. Um, so as it stands, we've um, are the interim, um, I guess, uh, Premier League or Super League champions. Obviously, it was cut short last year um, due to COVID. So obviously, the jury's out in regards to whether we officially won it or not. Um, but it'll be very interesting to see this season how how well we do. Um, but yeah, that's that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> so, <coughs> sorry, a little cough there. Um, did I hear you correctly? You said you started at Meteors? I started where, sorry? You said you started at Meteors? Uh, yeah, well, I started at Derby University, so I was a first-year university player, um, left uni, and yeah, my first official club team was at Meteors with, um, well, we live in a very young Brett and Simon. <laughs> wow, okay. Jeez, um, yeah, that's... <laughs> I mean, everyone's young compared to me at this point, so that's relative. Um, so, Jeff, I guess we can kind of get into that nickname a little bit later and, and what it means, but um, let's get some preliminaries out the way. Uh, what is your jersey number and what's the story behind it? Um, my current jersey number is two. Um, or it's, um, I used to have a University 22, which is the date I was born. Um, and then when we set up Spartans, um, we were sort of starting the numbers low as possible. So we were sort of trying to do it like a football team, start from one upwards. Um, so which mean at the time we didn't have 22 players. So I opted for the nearest, closest thing, which was then the number two. So um, I've had that since I joined Spartans and sort of just stuck with it. <laughs> I like that. Um, that's actually how I, at least number-wise, that's how I run my team. Um, it, it's funny. Uh, did you happen to hear Vicky's, Vicky Barclay's interview at all? I haven't done that, no. Okay, so it, I'll let the viewers listen to that, uh, but you kind of gave like a mirrored story as far as why you picked your jersey number uh, relative right. to how she picked hers. So it was just kind of weird, like, oh, this is exactly the same story I've heard, but just in reverse. <laughs> <laughs> so um, to kind of let everyone know, I met – I guess we call him Jeff. Uh, I called him David. <laughs> I met him in Canik. And I got to say, he's a behemoth. He's a giant among men, uh, but he's very friendly, very approachable. So uh, he does smile occasionally. <laughs> so if you do when, see when him. I'm, when I'm not on court. When I'm not on court. When you're not in court, yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I will clarify. I didn't play Spartans, but I did see him on the sideline because he's very hard to miss. Um, <laughs> he looks like a center back uh, for sure, uh, but he's a friendly <laughs> person for sure. I'll, I'll, I'll let that, you know be for anyone who doesn't know you which should be a surprise at this point um so when did you start playing dodgeball um sort of in my fresher year at university um 
obviously a lot of the university teams uh, or the, the universities operate with kind of like a sports fair um, during the, the freshers week. So uh, the current dodgeball team at the time had a kind of a stand uh, and I was sort of going around, obviously, you know, looking at what was there. Um, and yes, um, went for dodgeball kind of training sessions at the start and sort of got hooked at the same time that I was also doing American football and sort of buddied those two together um, and then got injured. And that's when I sort of fully focused on dodgeball and sort of never look back um, and whatnot. So, so um, what was your first impression? Like, uh, cause I know like I, I've covered a few uh, uh, specials with a uh, university series uh, university players from Plymouth and Surrey um, to date as of yet. And um, what was your first impression when you played there? Your first, like, uh, what you, I guess you guys call them open sessions. Yeah, it was. Um, so back then it was three ball. So obviously totally different to what we currently play in the UK, <laughs> uh, the five ball cloth setup. So the balls are slightly bigger, um, but it was a lot of fun. Um, I don't think I'd have stuck out if it, if it wasn't. Um, it was something totally new. Um, obviously I had come from playing dodgeball at school, but not with cloth balls. It was always kind of like a foam or a rubber kind of setup. But um, yeah, sort of got hooked. It was a lot of fun. I think I could pick up the ball and throw it quite easily. So I think very early on, I um, kind of started enjoying it because I was actually able to do it quite well. Um, and then obviously when you start training, you start picking up the tactics. And I think that's what really interested me as well um, is, you know, I'm quite, I like the whole tactical side of things. So, you know, starting to understand actually that, you know, certain things you start building in plays and, you know, another team does something, you then react by doing something else. And that kind of thing really interested me, which is, I think why I really enjoy five ball and coaching because it's kind of like a game of chess um, with players um, kind of um, in a very broad sense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I do remember the three ball era. Um, glad that's a thing of the past now, personally. Yes. Um, <laughs> I feel like with five ball, it's it's, it's uh, more dynamic and uh, it opens up the open up the field, kind of versus uh, three ball where you're just throwing one back and forth. Um, yes, I didn't yeah, enjoy that too much. <laughs> didn't enjoy that too much, but I mean it was still dodgeball, so I watched it. Um, so <laughs> obviously, you played your first session. Um, what was your first like social experience as far as? Uh, uh, Derby University goes like how was that like? Um, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm trying to think what was the first. It was um, first night out. I don't know. It'd have been a fancy dress something. Um, obviously go out and have a load of drinks and um, it was very quickly you start to understand that dodgeball attracts people. Not always of a similar interest, but there's a reason they like dodgeball, and then that means I tend to get on with them. So um, obviously a, a large portion of my friendship circle are all dodgeball players, um, and it's good because you can share that you know, that interest as well as we tend to like similar other things elsewhere, you know, tend to be active, tend to, um, I don't know, uh, want to do active things or do whatever. So, yeah, it was very much probably go out and play some drinks, but ended up probably playing like beer pong or drinking games. And, you know, as, as all of us tend to be very competitive, it gets to, to <laughs> very competitive drinking as well. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Um, before we get back to dodgeball, what's your uh, drink of choice? Oh, it depends on what mood. It depends on what time of day. What's the you know what's the plan, right? If it's if it's an afternoon and the sun's out, it'll be something like a hooch, um, or like a you know fruit cider. Um, if you're going out, I do uh, tend to do kind of like rum and coke or vodka, vodka lemonade. Um, but also, if if it's on a night out, if it's alcoholic, it doesn't really matter, right? 
<laughs> unless, <laughs> unless you've got like a, a, a like a, I don't know, what was out of the weekend? I had a vodka um, a lemonade and someone dropped a shot of Sambuca in it and that was vile. That was not pleasant. But um, <laughs> other than that, I tend to drink anything. Uh, how about Tiki Fire? Uh, what's that, sorry? Uh, tiki Fire. Have you ever had that? No, no. Okay. Is that That's, like absinthe? You know what? I tried asking people. Oh, okay, so let me kind of let me kind of backtrack a little bit. So my first panel uh, covering university was Plymouth. Uh, right, Plymouth Crackens, yeah. and um, they all talked about having uh, Tiki Fire. Like it was almost like the theme of the episode. Um, Semi spoiler <laughs> alert, but still listen to it. So I'm guessing, like I, I'm guessing it, it's an exclusively a Plymouth thing because it nobody be, else, yeah. nobody else either knows about it. I tried googling it. Google didn't it come must up be with anything. Like one of their uni bars has, has a drink which they sort of like, you know crowned as kind of their niche and that's what they they go that's that's probably what it is i mean i got friends who are bartenders out here they don't know what it is and like if google doesn't know what it is then i don't know what world you guys are living in at this point it sounds like they made it up really let's go okay yeah well apparently if you have enough of those you'll definitely forget about the night um but yeah you have me at rum and coke that's definitely my thing uh jack daniels and a coke or um never tried vodka and lemonade no i don't know yeah it's, it's just it's just a bit more simple, like, you know, it's safe. But it, yeah, it sounds like it goes together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then again, I'm, I'm never going to turn down tequila, so there's a, that's the yeah, Latin. Uh, <laughs> so um, you, you play in Derby, uh, and you, you move on to your first, I guess you guys call it community club, which would have been yes, what, partners, yeah. right? Uh, no, Meteors, Meteors. Oh, sorry, media. So what was that like moving up from the university scene to, I guess you could say the competitive scene? Yeah, well, back back then, um, there was still kind of a um, dodgeball. I was going to say it was, it was probably still young back then, but there was still a, quite a few university teams dotted around who could compete with the big clubs. Um, so back then, Derby, um, the year I left, Derby won what it was back then was the Premier League. So I was coming from a performing team um, into what Meteors were, obviously an up-and-coming slash performing team as well. Um, so the transition was quite straightforward. I also joined with one of my best mates at the time, Chris Harper. Um, so we sort of came as a dual package and moved straight into the Spartan setup and I know throw the, the Meteor setup um, and obviously was working with those guys um, and had, I think it was three seasons with them winning uh, the league winning a few national champs and a quite a few, you know, titles here and there. Um, so it was actually the transition was quite straightforward. I think just because at that time university, uh, t- there were a few universities started around Derby, Nottingham, um, uh, obviously Warwick and sort of Birmingham were coming upwards through. Um, I've probably forgotten someone else and they'll get annoyed. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there was still a, a couple of universities started around who were competing at the top level. Um, and were able to challenge then what were the community clubs. Whereas now, very few universities would ever get close to any of the Premier League teams in theory, um, just because those players have got more experience, they've you know been able to train, whereas you get a lot of turnover at universities. So, um, yeah, the transition was actually not too bad. So we're going to hit pause on that. And I want to talk to you about code because you 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 break things down in a way that that I definitely want the the listener and the viewer to to understand. So where did your yeah. love of like coaching come from, and like uh, how did you how did you ascend to the to the point where you're 
like you said, you're coaching for Spartans and you've spent some time coaching for England. Yeah, um, yeah, where, yeah. where did that, that drive come from? Because obviously you have some players who obviously just want to play and that's all great. Some just want to be at the very top of the heat. And then yeah. some people at the very top of the heat also want to expand on that and more or less showcase their knowledge in a different format. So I kind of want to yeah, know, like, yeah. where did that come from? Um, so my first coaching roles was was at Derby Uni. Was I was, I was part of the first team and uh, sort of in my last two years, then took in kind of a kind of a leadership or a coaching role, helping develop, you know, the team to kind of perform. So I think going into my final year, we'd identified that we had a very good core of players, and it was like actually, guys, like you know, if we focus now, if we work, we've got the opportunity to really do something special this year. So that was then going into final year. I was then sort of took the coaching role for the team, sort of coming up with action plans in regards to, okay, what are we going to start doing? It's, we, you know, started doing kind of first team fitness sessions and um, all of that kind of element where we were really just kind of motivating each of the players within that squad um, and coming up then with kind of new plays um, and kind of really challenging what it was back at the time in regards to what did Dodgeball do. So we started playing around with adding in extra calls and different kind of tactical styles um, I think Derby were probably the first team to start bringing in the three-ball pre-throw, um, and kind of we started bringing in like calls like aces, which is like a high-low call on a ball holder to try and hit someone with a defensive ball. Um, so we were one of the first teams to start bringing in that kind of start play and really drill it. Um, and off the back of that, um, it's like I really enjoy kind of you know seeing players progress, you know, and investing in players and see them get better and better. So at the moment in Spartans, we have a lot of the Warwick boys, the Warwick University boys train with us. And I went to see them play at their first league meet um, in Bucks uh, two weeks ago, maybe. And I'm not like involved in the Warwick coaching style of things. They, they drive that themselves, but they um, obviously they train with the Spartans. They play with, with us as well. But you can see a lot of the stuff that we've been coaching and I've been drilling into them as individual players come together when they played as a, as, as Warwick. And it was, I said to them at the time, it was so encouraging just to see, you know, how far they come. They were playing as a team. They were like performing together. And that's really, I, I that's very encouraging. I, that's, you know, you get a buzz out of that kind of thing, being able to develop players and see them improve. Yeah. I noticed uh, Warwick, they, they have a similar logo to, uh, to Spartans. Yeah, they probably copied like... us. No, I don't know. They, <laughs> they, I think that's been around for a while, to be honest. Oh, okay. So they, I don't want uh, to claim knowledge of actually how that's happened. It's probably from back from when Warwick first set up, many, maybe. They'll have to ask one of the Warwick players. When you get <laughs> uh, I'll definitely try to grab one of them on and see uh, who had the logo first. But um, the, either way, imitation is a serious form of flattery, regardless who's imitating who at this point. Um, so did you have, like, any, like, coaches growing up that you, like, admired that you wanted to, like, kind of pattern your um your approach after not really no like so i played growing up i played a lot of like um racket sports so i did tennis and um a bit of badminton and stuff like that so it wasn't really team orientated because i think they're totally co coaching individually is totally different to coaching a team sport i think you can get it's a, it's a totally different style so i think it was more just um when i started doing it at university and sort of started getting involved in it um like you know, that's when I started starting to enjoy it and really sort of start seeing what you could or could, can't do or, you know, I guess learning through through doing it, basically. So I, I know you've coached for, for England. Have you played for England? 
No, no, never. I played, um, so my international, I started playing for Wales. Um, so, oh. um, I, I yeah, played for Wales for the first ever um, European champs way back when in, in London um, and played for them for maybe five years. Um, and then, it, yeah, got to, I think it was, it just coming to the end of the five ball, um, kind of, no, sorry, the three ball era. So I played the first World Cup for Wales, which was the first five ball kind of international event. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was the, um, I think the last three ball event was France. So I didn't play in that for Wales. And that's sort of when I took a step back um, from the international scene. I was sort of, um, it was an interesting one because I, I like, I could, it could have gone two ways. I was very close to sort of packing in from dodgeball. The three ball kind of thing had really, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd won everything in theory within three ball. And I got to a stage where um, I wasn't necessarily as motivated as like, I am now. And it was, it, it was very interesting. Basically, it could have gone both one or two ways. And I remember getting a phone call from, from John Rudland, um, who's, um, was the England manager, um, was recently sort of been promoted into a, um, I don't know what the official title is, but kind of overseeing all of the home nations. So I got a phone call from him who, um, and he was just sort of like, got a proposal for you. Um, I want you to come and work for us as a, as a coach. So obviously for England. So then that very much started triggering some thought process of, of, you know, that's a new challenge. That's something totally new. Knowing that we could then go and subsequently into five ball, it was sort of like a, again, a, a new opportunity to work with some of the, you know, the best players in, in, in England. Um, so yeah, I sort of, after a few weeks accepted that. And that's when then I came onto the sort of the England scene um, as just a sort of an um, assistant coach. Um, and then sort of as, we continued working that that's when then John sort of offered me the head coaching uh, role. So I did that for a period of time. Um, and then as we continued to expand, it sort of got to the stage of actually, you know, especially if we've been in volunteering positions, um, it's a lot to undertake. So then we um, sort of expanded again and then we've sort of divided into a men's and a women's head coaching position. So I then moved into just overseeing the guys um, and sort of enables you then to sort of focus kind of more time on, uh, the players rather than being stretched or overly stretched. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jonathan Redland, that's a name I, I know quite well. Uh, definitely hoping to get him on at some point. So let's kind of get back to your playing days or playing days, <laughs> playing lineage, I should say. Yeah. So after, yeah. after meteors, uh, you hopped on with Spartan. You, you said you hopped on with Spartans or you, did you start Spartans? Um officially I think it was sort of bubbling in the background and they'd been playing together so it was originally a load of the Warwick kind of graduates who had sort of played together for a season or two as I remember, uh, the Dirty Ducks um, and it sort of got to the stage where I think they were realising that they were they were still managed to perform but then the, what was the difference between being at the very top of their game to not was the fact that they weren't training together so that sort of was the catalyst to them setting up kind of Leamington Spartans so um, and this was exactly at the same time as me joining England, actually. Um, it was yeah. the same kind of transition from three ball to five ball. Okay, what does it look like? Um, and that's exactly, that's sort of when Spartans were set up. So yes, we, um, a few of us kind of met in a pub down the road um, and was like, okay, what's the plan of action? Let's get a venue. This is what we're going to do. Um, let's, you know, put out some posters and kind of that was then the catalyst for like Spartans setting up. Um, and then sort of from then on in, have been massively involved in the coaching of the team. Um, and obviously playing as well. So, I mean, I, I didn't know about your previous uh, stint with Meteor, so I would say safe to assume that people know you from uh, Spartans. Um, 
and you you guys have uh, a solid group of players. Um, I'd say Straubs, uh, Sam Richards, and the list goes on and on, as well as the women. I know you guys have uh, Karen Pickering, Amy Jones, Elisa Storch. Yeah. Um, we've, got, yeah. yeah. we've got an incredible roster. We've got an, and and it's, it's, it's always interesting because, like, you've listed some really good names there, and um, there's players who play for us who people won't have heard of um, who are coming through and – are just incredible as well. Um, and that's both on both the, for the men's and the women's team. Um, and that's kind of the exciting thing. Like um, we've had a few new signings um, across the board, um, like in our, in our women's team, Holly Gedling moving over from Sheriffs and um, she's an absolute class player. Um, some young, young girls coming through at training. Um, there's uh, Ellie, who's uh, again, plays for Warwick. Um, and compared to when she first started, I think, she first started as sort of a social member of the Warwick team and now she's, you know, the improvement like you've seen over even over the last few months, she's absolutely class. And it, that's just really encouraging that, yes, we've got some really good players, but actually you've got players in the background just working really hard and um, sort of just coming through. And, you know, that's that's what, that's what I enjoy as well as seeing, you know, that improvement. And that's, I think, one thing about Spartans is, um, yes, we've got some standout you know, names, you know, like obviously like everyone knows Alex Harrison, he's an absolute class player, but, you know, we've got such strong depth in our squad. It's not just about an individual player. It's about everyone turning up at training, everyone working hard. Eventually we've got to then start picking teams and it's very tough now to start picking, you know, if I've got to pick an eight for the first team and eight for the second team out of 20, 22 guys, it's tough. Um, and that's sometimes where things like injuries make it a bit easier because <laughs> it dilutes the, uh, the selection. But, um, yeah, like it's it's an encouraging kind of season for us to be in, having that much depth and talent. Yeah, uh, and that's something I wanted to touch on. Um, so I kind of wanted to give you the, the platform now uh, to kind of elaborate. What, what makes Spartans – and this is coming from an outsider's perspective, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of you guys as individuals, a lot of the women there as well, but there's something about the culture that I that I draw from as far as empowerment goes. It feels like it, with you guys, you do have a lot of depth um, and you guys aren't afraid to mix things up a bit. Kind of kind of give like kind of give a little breakdown, like how, how how is that culture so empowering for everyone? Like who is the um, main, is it like a team collective where like everyone's just empowering each other? Is it from the leadership position top down? Like, kind of give I us an idea. Like, what? How is that? You know, you know I, what I mean. Like, how how yeah, is it yeah, so yeah. effective? The, a very very high end summary would be that it's nothing to do with me. Um, so <laughs> the dirty the dirty ducks of all. So I remember playing for Meteors, and whenever we played the dirty ducks, this is the Warwick grad team, which sort of made the initial foundation for what was the Spartans team. Was dirty ducks were a well drilled team. Like, you know, they weren't necessarily, you know, they didn't necessarily have the best players. They they're great players, but they whatever happened on court is they delivered as a team. And I remember playing them one time and um they would they, they were just stru- so structured. If you ever went one or two players down, you could never pull back because they were that disciplined and that well drilled that they just delivered together. And that really was what sort of like helped define I think who Spartans are because that's the foundation of where we're coming from that's sort of in the culture is it's all about the team so you know whether I'm coaching England or Spartans I'm always kind of mentioning it's always about it's about the team it's we, we perform as a team we deliver as a team our playbook is built up of 
team elements and it, it and that's the basis of you know it doesn't matter about individual players as long as the team has been like succeeding in theory um and i think across the board we've got yes we've got a team of, like to be fair we've expanded the coaching team this season we've got um a really good course of set players but actually the, all the players help motivate and encourage and build each other which again is huge um and that's one thing i was encouraged as a player coming into spartans um was you know people are like oh you know it's jaff he plays for plays for wales or coaches England, whatever like and i found that people wouldn't necessarily challenge me on my own performance where the spartan like um spartan guys will 100 percent tell me when i'm throwing a single and shouldn't be doing that like they'll challenge me on my own performance which is huge because that's the only way i'm going to improve and then also i'm able to do the same for them so I think it's it's we play as a team, but then on the top of that, there's just mutual respect. Everyone respects each other. They respect the hard work they put in. They're putting in the work themselves, um, and yeah, we just we work for each other. So yeah, uh, I, I was kind of losing myself, but you, you you did answer what I what I was intending to, to get across because yeah, there's a sense of accountability. There's a sense of camaraderie. Yeah, yeah. There's a sense of for the team, you know, the front of the jersey, not the back kind of thing. Just like there's a 100%, sense of like, 100%. if you see one Spartan player, that Spartan player is a blueprint to what you should be, whether you're the top star or the up and coming star. And was something that just wanted to bring and that I'm up. Watching, yeah, so I, um, obviously we had two men's teams in the, uh, playing for the league, yes, uh, on Saturday. And um, watching some of the footage back, if you watch, like the first team and the second team player, you can see they're drilled the same. Like the the movements and the calls and what they're doing is exactly the same. And I think that again is, you know, is is again why we're successful is that everyone plays the same style. We're accountable for that. Um, it enables us to transition players between the first and seconds, which, you know, I don't have a set squad. Like I want to be able to have the, the ability to pull on anyone if someone's performing and they you know they're good enough they'll get the opportunity to step up and we've had that previously um with players we've given the opportunity they've you know um and that's what we want is everyone drilled the same way so if they're going to given the opportunity they know that they can sort of step up yeah, it's safe to assume you've already established that culture um so you've been with spartans for a long time and still currently i don't want to speak in past tense so what's yes, been yes, the biggest yes. uh, achievement for you guys uh, as a team? Like, is there any tournament that a tournament win or placing that uh, stands out to you as like, you know what, this was the hardest fought one we had? Yeah, yeah. Um, so obviously I want to mention the, the Premier League or the Super League last season. Um, you know, yes, it was cut short. At the time we were undefeated at the top, Meteors were – undefeated below us but had a second draw um but that you know that was a huge achievement for us we went into that season we had a heavy pre-season we we're working really hard and we were you know where we we were the league was called um i think it was a day before it was it was cancelled a day before we were going to play meteors and you mm. know, we didn't we didn't play them who would have won i don't know i'd obviously i'm going to back the spartans i know we were in a very good place we'd drill very hard and irrelevant of that outcome and irrelevant that um, of, you know, who won the league, I was so proud of the team. Like, we were on fire. Um, and you just look at the results that we had that season. Um, our league results were, you know, were unbelievable. Um, and that's, again, it was all about we were delivering as a team. No one necessarily... There was games when, you know, I think, like, when we played Manchester Bees, I think everyone... No one stood out, but everyone was consistent. And when we had a quality score, like, 
you know, and that's the key thing for us is, you know, trying to drill in consistency across the team rather than, so that was, that was really good. Um, our women that seat last season won the league um, to get promoted, um, um, which obviously was a huge achievement. That's why they're now in the Prem, also it's the league the season before, before last. Um, that was a massive achievement. Um, and then again, uh, we've won national champs and we've won the British Open. Um, and both of them were really good. You know, obviously winning a big title lot of the national champs is huge. Like that was really good. Um, especially when you, you you play, you know, some quality games. Um, even the national the last national champs we played, we played meters in the final and lost. You know, it was it got to the last kind of I think it got to the last set, which if we had won it, it had gone into overtime kind of thing. And even though we came second, um, those kind of games kind of stick in your head because you work, you you put everything on the line, you know, it's, yeah. it's not, it's not just about turning up and playing. Like it's emotional, it's physical, it's like everything is on it. And you, you know, you obviously you feel tired afterwards, but it's, I think that's why we do it because those kind of moments do really kind of, um, you know, you remember them. Yeah. Uh, and you also, it's funny, like you're hitting a lot of notes that I want to touch on <laughs> before I even mention it myself. So in sports, you have a lot of rivalries, um, you have yes. Lakers, Celtics. Um, you have if you're a hockey a hockey fan, um, Penguins, Capitals. Um, if you're a football fan, Barcelona, Madrid, uh, Inter, AC. You know, City, United. What is it about the Meteors and the Spartans rivalry that's so your, your histories are intertwined in, in a in a sense that not only you playing for one and then going to the other, but more so like. Whenever people talk about who's going to win this Open or who's going to win, uh, who's going to finish at the top of the table in England, it's always you two and then everyone else as far as being yeah, mentioned. Yeah. Like, how, is that, how, how, how would you explain that, like, rivalry? Because for me, I look at it like whether it's a first round, round robin, semifinals, quarterfinals, you want to draw your eyes to this matchup here. Yeah, you know 100%. what I mean? Yeah, well, we we're, we're playing each other. So the next league meet, we're playing each other. So that's going to be huge. Um, I don't know. I, I think you're always going to have it at the top of the. You know, the teams at the top of the table are always going to be wanting to to beat each other. And obviously, historically, Meteors. Well, officially, when you when it comes to it in regards to the Super League, Meteors are still undefeated because even though we, in theory, won last time, they they got two draws. They would they didn't lose. So you know, they're still one of the absolute best teams in the UK and who, who have ever been. And the players, you obviously look at their roster and, you know, Brett's okay. And they've got some even better players around him. So, um, and, you know, they, they, they thrive off, you know, obviously their, their reputation, but also they, they, they work hard and they, they play a very high intense game, which some teams then struggle to play against. Um, and I think, we originally, we always gave them tough games um, and we always like to think that we challenge them. We definitely push them. But there was also at that stage, like especially say three, four years ago when we were still sort of coming up, we would also struggle against other teams. So, you know, Vikings who have now folded always that, you know, they were a class team. You've got these, you've got Storm and Rangers now coming through. And, you know, we, I think Meteors would always find a way to just absolutely kind of, kind of walk through those kind of teams where Spartans, uh, made it hard for ourselves where I think we've got to the stage now where we have been working hard and we've now got, you know, a bit more confidence in ourselves and we've got a very established 
kind of playbook and playing style, which I think enables us to help perform more consistently. So um, obviously going into um, off the back of that, getting a couple of, you know, titles and um, starting to perform more consistently enables us to become, um, you know, a more a team to look at. Um, and obviously Meteors have still got that undefeated reputation. They've still got, a, you know, class of, a team of world-class players. So when you start talking about both teams, who are going to, when when we play each other, who's going to win? Well, obviously I'm going to back Spartans as I'm a Spartan, but <laughs> it's it's going to be a very interesting fixture. Um, obviously, I think Brett at the moment's carrying um, a, a, an injury. I think he's, he's broken or he's, um, he's hurt a number of ribs. Um, so hoping that he bounces back ready for that fixture because I'd hate to go into that knowing that Brett's not playing because um, if we beat them, I want to make sure that they're at their full strength, you know? So because yeah. it just won't it won't mean the same. Like they want to play us at our full strength and vice versa because it's going to be an absolute class game. Um, yeah, no, no doubt about it. Um, I had no idea about uh, – well, I don't even know if it's official if, if, if Brett's injured, but if you are, man, I uh, hope you're feeling better. Yeah. Hope you get to yeah. the round. Um, he wants. He just wants some sympathy. I think that's all it is. He's detention seeking. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm not going to play that. I'm, I, I, this is coming from me. If you're injured, bro, I hope you feel better. Um, I'm sure there's some playful banter there that David just threw your way. <laughs> I'm gonna just. I'm gonna stay out of that one. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll see you soon. Um, and anyone, if anyone can videotape that or record that for me, I definitely like to see that because, like I said, anytime they. I'm sure it'd definitely be filmed. It'll be interesting. I, 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 yeah, I'd like to think some people will live stream it because it's going to be an intense match. And obviously, bearing in mind that the league was cut short, I think this is one of the most anticipated games. And that, uh, that that's something I was going to allude to. That's something I was going to allude to as well. Um, this is the ultimate. This is the ultimate game. Uh, I remember interviewing Brett early this year, um, and. He did, and from what I, from what I got in the interview, obviously you know disappointed that the league cut short, but there's no like animosity towards you guys. It was more like let's just let's get in the ring and square up. You know what I mean? Like just they just want that, and I feel like yeah. this is gonna happen this Saturday. You said uh, no, so it's in uh, it'll be two weeks Saturday. So yeah. Oh, so two weeks from now. Okay, well. Yeah. Well, this episode will be dropped on Friday, so by the time it'll be one week from <laughs> from when you hear this, that that it'll be uh, it'll be it'll be on and popping. So, um, uh, so, <laughs> um, what's uh, what sports did you play uh, growing up? You said you played American football. You played racquetball. Tennis. Yeah, T- tennis, American football were mine. Um, so tennis before uni, and then American football at uni, and then I did my knee, um, which sort of cut that short. Um, what position did you play in football? Um, o line, mainly O line. Played a bit of D line, oh. outside linebacker, and a bit of tight end. So, oh wow, floated floated around. Yeah, I mean, you definitely have the build of a defensive end for sure. You kind of remind me of, uh, for anyone who I don't know if they watch NFL over there as much as I do here, but uh, JJ Watt, he's like his <laughs> tall, kind of lean. He is huge. <laughs> I'm nowhere near him. No, he is no, he is an absolute beast. <laughs> no, I actually met him, and I never felt so hopeless in my life. Yeah, um, I bet. <laughs> Small and weak. Yeah, I mean, I'm like, I'm not really short either, but at the same time, it's like this guy can even dwarf you. So I'm like, yes, yeah, exactly. you know what? If I'm gonna take a picture, I'm gonna just be like, yeah, I'm gonna be right here, just blocked out by this eclipse behind me. Um, but no, he's 
another gentle giant I like to throw out there. Really classy person. So props to him. And hopefully soon goes in the Hall of Fame. So um, <laughs> before we get into some of these crowdsourced questions, I want to ask, uh, is there any um, funny road trip stories you want to share uh, with Spartans? Um, we've not been away as a team, actually. We're currently looking at doing a kind of a mini tour. Um, I've been a been away with a few like the Meet Well. It was like a hybrid team, so I went, went away with a few of the Meteors and Alex and Neely. So a couple of the Spartans as well. We've 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 been to like the couple of tours in Austria. Did um, uh, flew out to Chicago for the um, the trampoline dodgeball. Can't even remember what it's called. Um, UDC. Yeah, for UDC, and that was incredible. There's a lot of good stories about that that trip. Um, but yeah, just obviously getting a um, getting a few guys um, and just you know doing doing stupid things basically, um, and then getting to play dodgeball at the same time. So um, yeah, it's really good fun. Really good fun. Yeah, I saw the scrimmage um, the British Bulldogs had, and um, yes, that was it. Yeah, yeah, that that was a fun one, and. Um, I'm forgetting his name. I'm forgetting who it was now. It might have been Simon Jones, but I remember Pyan just pelted him really hard with yeah. the rubber ball. Oh and yeah, it was Simon. <laughs> it was Simon. Yeah, it was Simon. It was Simon. There's, photo, there's definitely a photo still kicking around, and yeah, um, he saw his life flash before his eyes. <laughs> I mean, according to legend, he still has a scar on his uh, rib. So <laughs> uh, I'll have him on so he can share his story. <laughs> Oh, that's sad. I'm sorry. Sorry, I had to just throw that in there because uh, that was a gnarly hit I saw um, on someone's grainy phone. Uh, so before we get into some of these crowdsource questions, do you have a pregame ritual before a league or an open? Um, no, not really. Um, I used to sort of put my headphones in and sort of get into my like the zone, which is very similar to what I used to do in American football. Um, but I think I've sort of switched over now, obviously with being a coach to actually, it's not just about my own performance. I've got to make sure I'm chatting to the guys. Are they ready? That kind of stuff. So um, yeah, slightly different approach. Um, what we tend to end up doing is getting a random song in our head as a team and singing, you know, random lyrics really badly as a team, sort of trying to <laughs> kind of G, G each other up and whatnot. But um, yeah, so like Finn, one of um one of our guys, yeah, he he's massively into that kind of thing. So yeah, we'll end up singing some so, stupid, uh, yeah. <laughs> so kind of like sloppy karaoke, pregame oh, sloppy yeah, well, karaoke. I, I, well, I wouldn't call it sloppy. It's world class karaoke, really. <laughs> oh, okay, all right, fair enough. But you said singing lyrics badly, and uh, oh yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ba- badly, bad- badly, but badly, but confidently, right? Badly, but confident. It's still sloppy, but badly, but confidently. <laughs> yeah. And um, you did mention putting uh, putting in headphones on. Uh, I did catch word that you left your headphones at St. George's Park. Yeah, that was me. Hey, who mentioned yeah. it? If someone brought it to my attention. Yeah. Oh, good. I, I went to the gym earlier, and I was that guy at the gym without headphones in, and it's it's yeah. yeah. <laughs> so hear everyone's conversation though. So. <laughs> so uh, when you did used to put on uh, headphones and, and music and tune out everything around you, what songs would you listen to? What artist would you uh, listen to? I'll, I can get it up. It's still in my uh, my Spotify playlist. So, oh, okay. um, yeah, one sec. I was listening to it the other week, actually. So, <laughs> uh, they're basically cl- absolute classics. So, a uh, bit of Get Lucky from Daft Punk. Okay. 
Not not afraid from Eminem. All right. Radio radioactive. Um, okay. Uh, Howling for you. Uh, Black Keys and Elevator Black Keys, and then the classic, which is in the air tonight, um, obviously by <laughs> Phil Collins. And that, that's what we are seeing. Uh, well, that's what I was seeing on on, on Saturday. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Please tell so, me yeah. someone has you singing in the air the night. <laughs> Please tell me. <laughs> I, hope, that's not I, hope somewhere. I hope they're not. Yeah, I hope they're trying to get ready for the game rather than trying to record me. But someone probably has. <laughs> I'm going to put this out as a bounty. If you guys could send me that, I will personally <laughs> PayPal you. <laughs> and, I, and just as an incentive, I know the dollar is strong against the pound. So <laughs> if you want to make some dough, c- capture. Uh, David Poole singing Phil Collins. (laughs) Um, Okay, so I want to ask, just to get this out the way, um, Jeff, who gave you that nickname? What's the story behind it? Um, Is it short for something? Well, it was it was it's short for Jaffa Cake. So at uni, um, pretty much everyone in like the friendship circles, the dodgeball friendship circle, had nicknames, and I was the only one kind of one without one. So um, they were like, oh, we need a name. And obviously with me being ginger, one of the people was like, oh, what about Jaffa Cake? Because they're orange inside. And sort of so, yeah, very early on, it was Jaffa Cake. Then it got short to Jaffa. And then over the years, it's just people got lazy. And now it's just Jaff. So, um, but yeah, it, everyone, it feels weird. Like someone at League on Saturday called me Dave. And I was like, flip a deck of mind trouble. Like, um, so yeah, it's just, it's just, um, it's what it is. I remember before when, um, someone around my parents and well back when I lived with my parents and someone had come in to, to visit and then obviously I think my sister had opened the door and was like oh it's Jaffin or whatever and um, my sister's like who's Jaff <laughs> so uh, my parents now know they're, they're, they're educated they're up to speed so um, yeah. <laughs> Jaff or cake um, yeah that's gotta yeah. be a British thing uh, I've never heard of that here um, oh yeah, so there's a big debate about whether a Jaffa cake is a biscuit or a cake, even though it says cake in the uh, title. Um, but yeah, it's just a, basically a sponge base with like an or- orange jelly kind of interior with then a kind of chocolatey lid. And there's a debate that it's whether what a cake and a, a biscuit? Cake, yeah, it's, it, again, it's a it's a, an English thing. It's the, yeah, a huge debate whether it's, it's a cake or a biscuit. Um, probably not worth going into it. Uh, <laughs> well... Well, I'm going to just give my two cents in based on limited knowledge. If it has something spongy in the middle, it's a cake. Well, it's, it, it says cake in the name, right? So Yeah, and if, it, if yeah. it's a biscuit, it, biscuits are normally dry throughout. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe so with some icing up top. So yeah. just throwing it out there. I don't know if it'll affect my standings out there. I don't know if I just got banned. But um, that's just my stance, and I'm going to stick to it until I'm proven otherwise. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> you guys will see me in Leicester, so you guys can throw me throw balls at me if you disagree. Um, so we're going to get into the crowdsource questions. Um, actually, no, before then, I'm sorry. Uh, there's something I wanted to ask. Do you have any role models growing up in and out of dodgeball? Uh, not, not to mine, no. Um, I think my biggest role model is my dad. That's, you know, it's, obviously it's a cop-out, but... Um, no, that's yeah. fair. My, my dad is um huge inspiration to me. My father would be my godfather, who's no longer with us. But um I think, yeah, I um I don't know, yeah, I'm motivated by people investing in you, you know. So they obviously invested very heavily into me growing up. Um through, you know, just 
believing in you, trusting in you, loving you, that kind of stuff. And, and then also, you know, kind of feeding back or challenging you in regards to certain aspects and holding you to account. And that's what sort of really, yeah, that, you know, that, that kind of thing really kind of motivated me. So yeah, that's probably my, my two. No, that's fair. That's not a cop out, man. Don't feel, don't feel bad. That's not a cop out. (laughs) 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 All right. So now that we're back on track, uh, crowdsource questions. So when I first when I first posted that I was going to interview you, Hannah was very excited. Hannah Catterall. And yeah, yeah. her first comment was, you already know my question. God knows I already know the question. Um, what are you most grateful for? Probably my, you know, my upbringing and my parents. I, you know, I know so many people who have, you know, had tough upbringings and stuff. And I think different upbringings, you know, I guess um, build you in different ways. But um, my parents were, you know, they were, they love me, but they challenge me. They held me to account. Um, and they, I wouldn't be the person I am today without their input into who I am. So, you know, I'm, I'm quite a, um, well, um, I'd say funny, but I'm quite a, um, you know, I'm massively caring. I'm massively, um, kind of empathetic, but I'm also, um, you know, I like kind of like trying to make people laugh and being around people, but also like in my own time. And I don't know, that's, you know, that, 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 part of who I am is, is from my parents. So, yeah. Well, I can say they did a great job with you, man. Um, like I said, you are a giant, you are a behemoth and you are intimidating to definitely a lot of people, including myself, <laughs> but you're a friendly person. So I could say they did a good job thank with you. you. Yeah. Thank uh, you. And that permeates across everyone who I've reached out to privately uh, about talking to you. Yeah. Um, you're definitely, definitely a solid one. And uh, one again to the comments with this one. Um, what are you most grateful for? I was like, how many episodes have I done? And I've waited for you to ask this question. Because this used to be her thing all the time. She would ask literally every guest, whether she knew them or not, what are you grateful for? So it's good that the staple is back. Um, Vicki Barclay, who I interviewed earlier this year, she asked two questions. So favorite team to coach and coaching highlights. So we can ask favorite team to coach. That's true. As favorite team. Well, again, this I think they they similarly relate. But um, favorite team to coach um, specifically, it would be, and this would go into a highlight as well. Would be the England men's team from the is it twenty eighteen um, European Championships in Italy. That the, team yeah. were unbelievable. Like you know, coaching that team. And the way we performed was was next level, and the atmosphere in that team, um, um, yeah, absolutely class. Um, and then coaching Spartans men, um, the the guys, it's it's good fun, but the amount of respect between us, the the work ethic, the you know the accountability is is huge, and it's not just about you know being able to turn up at a session and um, just tell people what to do, like. They, they ask questions, they challenge me, they make jokes when I say stupid things or I make up words because I'm really bad with English. Um, but So there's that there's that fun element, but they'll work hard. Like whenever we're doing something, they'll, you know, they put 100% effort into it and then that reflects when we go to court, like we're on court. So yeah, those are my two favourite teams uh, of all time. Um, coaching highlights, yeah, that, that Italy team, the semi-final and final um, performances, of that men's team and the videos are on YouTube. Like they were class, like those boys worked their ass off, put everything on the line and it resulted in a gold medal. Um, but 
it was, you know, going into that, those games, I did something different. Um, I sort of mixed up the lineup. Um, I had some new players we put into positions who wouldn't necessarily do that. And, you know, um, it worked. And I guess the players, they play, players trusted me um, with that decision. And then they put it all on the line on court and you look at the results and it was, it was absolutely class. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely a highlight. And then um, coaching out in, in Madison uh, Square Gardens was again the whole the whole trip was incredible. Um, mm. The late night after the first night probably wasn't, but um, <laughs> coaching and being involved in the performance across all three teams um, was was amazing. But the um, obviously getting the double gold with the the mix in the women's teams was um, was unbelievable. Um, again, the players were just absolutely class. And you know, as as a coach, there's only so much we do. Like if the players, if without the players. There's no, there's no team, um, so the the players hundred percent earned and you know earned those performances and you know delivered on court and it's you know it's it's that's I think the better part of coaching I again I enjoy the most is being able to share that with the players because also the players don't have to share their successes with the coaches in theory like they're the ones at the end of the day who are on court and they earned it and they delivered it. But every single time we've absolutely smashed it, the players celebrate with the coaching team and, you know, you feel like you've done it with them. And that kind of feeling is is not easy to, to match. Um, so, yeah, those are probably my two. Nice. Um, so I'm going to go over to, I like to thank the people at House of Dodge for uh, also trying to uh, get crowdsourced questions for me to, to ask you. So mm-hmm. the first one they grabbed was from Soap Babatola, who is a part of the Plymouth. Yeah, uh, Chopin. Soap? Yeah, Chopin. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Shop. So I've been saying Soap the whole time, and he hasn't really corrected me. Yeah, he's, wow. He's, he's, he's one of the nicest guys alive. Uh, to be fair, I might be saying it wrong as well, but I'm pre- I think I'm saying it right. But he's the, one of the nicest guys around. Who just need? He's got the most ultimate amount of swag. He's incredible. Absolutely. Legendary. Yep. Okay, and apparently he's a snake. Um, if you hear his episode, you'll find out why. Um, <laughs> I have to throw that in there. Sorry, I've been I w- I've been calling him Soap the whole time, and he has not corrected me. I feel like a feel like a moron now. But his next question: um, When's the next England trials? England trials, yeah. So has um, that been announced yet, or it hasn't been? No. So we're currently going through um, a transition. So John uh, Rudland's been obviously promoted. So we have just. Um, uh, we, I think that this week actually, we're having interviews for the New England manager. So, following that, um, we will then announce who the England manager is, and that will then be the catalyst for obviously sort of England moving forward. Um, because yeah. as much as we are sort of discussing a little bit in the background, the new manager in theory is the one with the vision, uh, for England dodgeball, and sort of they'll be the catalyst or the you know. The decision maker in the route forward. Um, obviously, with Euros announced for July, we are we have started having discussions in the background around the coaching teams around how's it going to work. Historically, England would have a huge um, open trial. We'd then down select to a closed trial, and then from that, we would then be looking at having a development squad and then a performance squad or a, a main squad or whatever uh, for both the, the men's and then the women's players. Um, and with the impending tournament in July we've we're used to kind of like nine months to to 12 months to to prepare so we're in a position now where we're like the dodgeball calendar is pretty busy um like J- 
January, we've got three league fixtures. So like straight off the bat, January is written off. So we're looking at um, can we do anything beforehand? Potentially, potentially not. Or is it going to be a February start? And then we're just looking at how are we going to be able to get the team selected for for July for the Euros and have the right amount of time to invest in that those players to get the best performance out of England. Because obviously at the end of the day for, for England, it is about uh, its performance. We're a performance-based team. So, mm-hmm. you know, we've got to be thinking about how are we going to be able to select a team of players um, to, who are then going to be able to perform at the event um, and represent England, obviously, at the best of their ability. So we're currently discussing the background. What does that look like? Um, and then, yeah. Um, obviously the biggest thing around that will be the new manager who will be basically our new boss um, um, and what their vision is within that. So, yeah, um, we'll keep everyone up to date and I'm sure things will be sort of publicised publicly soon. Um, but, yeah, things are moving in the background. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing with, yeah, because Euros was announced roughly a month ago for yes, July, I want to yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. Give or take. So, and I'm just going to put this out here now. Um, assuming that it doesn't conflict with any of my tournament dates, I will definitely fly out there for my birthday and watch Euros. Oh, so, awesome. Yeah, it, it's kind I'll of funny you, how... I'll it, get you a drink. I'll get you a drink. You and everyone else, my liver will not survive <laughs> customs. I've already made that agreement with myself. The, you know, I'll have a good time out there, but my liver will be left in England. Or at, where's, where's Euros going to be? Uh, I think Netherlands. The Netherlands. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. It'll yeah. be left there. Got it. Um, so I don't know who this person is, but your Instagram handle says Pico Soda. What content would you like to see worked on for British dodgeball community and clubs? Is that, I don't know, is that like social media content or is that just as in dodgeball? I'm like, guessing he um, means social media because I would, because I would imagine uh, every club has a uh, they, they YouTube do, channel. Yeah. Uh, most most times do, yeah. I I don't have a clue about social media. Not gonna lie. <laughs> um, so, I think I'll add to the other one. I, I think um, I think obviously British dodgeball are doing a big push at the moment around women's dodgeball, um, and I think that's that's got to be a focus across um, all the clubs. Um, kind of, it's coming out of COVID. It's like it's not massively noticeable, but there's definitely um, fewer. Kind of women's teams, like I think the league has, there's a couple of teams who historically were, were just cement kind of teams. They were, they've always been there who have sort of taken a step back, which you know it is it's fair. Um, obviously, COVID hit hard and people are making different decisions, but um, I want you know, I want to see the sport continuing to keep growing. So, um, I think that's obviously a big focus for British Dodgeball and for the players in the community. And I think um, that's definitely something that all club teams should be working on um, and all university teams should be as well, especially with uh, dodgeball now being in Bucks, there's a huge opportunity for the sport to really grow in the university sector, which will then over the next few years, as people graduate, because they, they play dodgeball at uni, they graduate, they'll then be either looking to join clubs and make them bigger or set up clubs of their own, depending on where they have, their, their home is or wherever they settle. So um, yeah, I think, you know, across, across that, um, obviously I, my main kind of involvement and focus is around the elite side of things. So obviously I want to continue seeing, you know, England grow and um, obviously the, the introduction of GB will be interesting to see, you know, that, how that kind of performs at the international scene over the next few years as well. Um, but yeah, I just think I, I want to see the sport continue to grow um, and new teams, you know, continue to, 
to to pop up and sort of get established. Nice. It's it's cool that you mentioned GB because um, I have mentioned it before. I'm going to be out there to play foam, and then hopefully more cloth yeah. next year. So yeah, fingers crossed. As soon as I find out the dates here, I'll plan everything out over there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this one next question comes from Shaquille Joseph. Have you seen any noticeable changes of the meta gameplay style of five ball since the first season, which would have been 2017, 2018 until now? No real um, noticeable changes or? The, oh, there hundred percent is. I, was, oh, okay. I think if you, if you, if you watched, it'd be interesting to actually do that when I've got some spare time, which I very rarely have, but um, <laughs> to go, go back and watch one of the, the first five ball games to now is, um, I bet there's a lot more chaos, a, le- a lot less discipline. Um, so, um, like again, what within Spartans is we coach a lot of discipline um, uh, and making sure that everything we do has a purpose and everyone knows why we're doing it kind of thing. So um, I reckon, yeah, the, the people would just be throwing a lot more chaotically. Um, I know a lot of teams now have kind of quite established playbooks. Um, I won't go through mine because it will yeah. help other teams. But um, <laughs> You know, I think as the as as the sport as people continue to grow, uh, or as the sport continues to grow, and, and teams continue to play with each other, they start trialing out new things. So, you know, they start trying out different calls or trying different things with the number of balls they're throwing or whatever. And you know, there's definitely um, even on the defensive side of things, uh, teams are doing different things on their hold ball or their defensive balls when they've got two. Um, you know, one of the um, things Meteors brought in heavily. Um, last season before COVID was that like the amount of pressure they put on, they were just like, they would put absolute pressure on from their defensive wings, um, which you very rarely saw early on in the game where they really dominate with that. Um, so yeah, I definitely think it's come on. And I think what, well, one way to probably compare it is if you look at the current club teams and watch some of their footage to potentially some university first teams, because the university first teams will still be playing good dodgeball, but it'll be slightly less less well drilled, um, and they'll probably be yeah a bit of, kind of less disciplined and whatnot. Um, so that's probably an easier way to slightly compare it, maybe. Yeah. Um, so when he asked this question, I actually, well, my first experience with um, five ball was actually watching the Manchester World Cup, and I rewatched it over on Friday uh, prior to recording. And I would say the biggest change I've noticed since, I guess, the world's exposure to five ball in that sense is that, yeah, there's more discipline uh, back then. It was a little more chaotic, you know, people throwing either too many balls or, or giving up ball control too frequently. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just It seemed more like a shoot and react kind of game versus, okay, read and react is what we call it. Yeah. So I would say it's a, definitely more disciplined, more refined now than it was back in 2016. Yeah, more, more yeah, more, yeah. Like every move has a purpose now versus back then where people are still getting used to the fact that the balls are smaller and there's two extra ones. Yeah, there's more, there's more things going on than we used to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that that's definitely something I noticed back in the, uh, <laughs> from then to now. Uh, Catherine Thomas, who I've had on a few times this year. I'll definitely have her later on again. Uh, what's the most overused, common, ineffective tactic in five ball at the moment? I thought of this earlier, and I can't remember oh, for the life of me what I was going to say. Um, uh, the, one, the one I hate the most is kind of like a burn ball. Um, 
So back in three ball, you'd you'd if you were down, you'd you could roll balls, but what you'd tend to do is try and throw a ball which is not quite catchable to switch possession. Um, mm. And it's not as if like you know, there's definitely times that that we do it as well. And it's it's trying to throw, you know, you're trying to throw aggressively enough that you can still potentially get the hit, but not get uh, caught. But there's definitely players and teams who take that to the horribly next level and sort of totally um, <laughs> switch possession without any intent to hit. And that really sort of grinds grinds me. Um, well, there was definitely, but yeah, that that's that's probably up there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would have to agree with that. Um, it, it, it one once or twice maybe, but I've I've also seen clips where it's been like to the point where I almost considered carding for stalling. Yes. Um, yeah. 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 But it's almost like you just kind of have to read the moment as you see it, kind of thing. So it's like it, it, it's yeah, I would have to agree. It's it's kind of gotten to that point where some teams do it too much, and refs aren't either wise enough to see it right away, or they don't feel empowered to make a certain call. But yeah, I, yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah, I think I think there's possibly, um, and it's probably speaking from experience because I did it a couple of times at the weekend. But um, the standing counter as well um unless it's done with the perfect timing is massively ineffective and we're now playing teams and i i you know every time i do for spartans i end up getting a look from the left hand side it'll be like finn or sam give me the look like yeah you've you know you've done it again um i've thrown a ball and not got a hit and they're given possession and and too right because you've got to get the timing right and if you don't get the timing right on it it, the team will reset, and that's what exactly what we will do. We, we've got calls to try and pull out that, and it, what a team will do is be like, "Thank you, we'll take the fourth ball, we'll reset. We can then wait for play ball, and then we've got an extra ball to try and hit you out." So, you know, I think that's teams do that, and they need a train to get the timing right on it because if you release too early, a team resets, you don't get the hit, and you've actually hurt yourself really badly. Um, so, yeah, that's possibly up there, I would say. Okay. Um... <laughs> Aiden Woodall decided to chime in. Yeah. What's the reverse? So opposite to anything not used enough that could be effective. Um, He just wants some insight into how we're going to beat this season, though. So So we could skip that one. Yeah. 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 Aiden, uh, stay tuned. Um, (laughs) I love Aiden. Aiden. I I don't think we play them until the 5th. It's till January, I don't think so. Yeah, um, they've got time to, to, to practice. <laughs> I just love how he just tried to chime in, like, okay, let me just take notes in case he slips up. <laughs> no, no, we figured you out. We figured you out. Um, I'm hoping they to get train him hard. They, they train very hard. They, they, to be fair, they look they look well. Like seeing them play at the weekend, the bees look very well drilled. Um, you know, they've got Robbie joining them, who's a, a an absolute athlete, which has given them a bit more depth. But they, you can just see the way they're playing. They've been drilling hard at training. Yeah, and it's something I, I pointed out to, um, I think it was Emily who I talked to early this year. Um, they always have like four or five teams at every tournament. Yeah, it's like they yeah, have they're a, a big team. They're a big, big club. Sorry, it's yeah. like they have half of Manchester representing them. It's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like, okay, just, yeah. just kind of like sidebar. Some teams, you know, some of you guys have A teams, B teams. Some of you guys A's, B's, and C's. They got A teams, B teams, C teams, D teams. Yeah, e they got like, five essentially. <laughs> I think before COVID, I think they had. I might even be wrong. They might have had six, but there definitely times when there was like five teams. 
of in their men's game, and then definitely like three or four in the in the women. Yeah, like, like if, great, if you, like, you know, yeah, like if you have if you have a tournament of like twenty teams, let's say at least eight of them are from Manchester alone. Yeah, especially <laughs> when they hosted it in Manchester. Yeah, they. It's, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, they're 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 just trying to defend the turf, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. All right, so. I'm actually going to save Emily's question for last. So, Matteo Mini, uh, what is the most underrated, overrated? Okay, underrated and overrated uh, dodgeball skills. skills. Yeah. When people um, usually train. Easy. Right, easy. Over, the most overrated dodgeball skill is throwing power. Without yeah. that, that's that's easy. Agreed. Too easy. Like you know, I, yes, I can throw pretty fast, but it doesn't mean anything if I can't hit anyone. If I if I can't be accurate with my throw, it's pointless having you on a team. Irrelevant at the speed, other than it's quite scary. So that's easy. That's the top one. Like you know, you've got players like Ryan Neal, who you know he's been to be fair, he's put on a he's an absolute unit at the moment with his CrossFit and stuff. But you know, his throw is not the fastest in anywhere by by. Uh, you know, any stretch of imagination, but, but it hits. he knows what he's doing. It hits. He knows what he's doing with it. His speed up court means he shuts down that distance. He can put spin on it, but he's going to hit you in the places, which is not easy to catch. And, you know, that's huge. It's, so it's not about speed. It's all about, you know, the accuracy of it. If, you know, which is why like teams train and they have calls to hit people or try to hit people on the toes or, you know, outside or whatever it is. But, you know, yes, it could be fast, but until you can start honing that in and hitting players in the right position, um, it doesn't. It doesn't mean anything. I agree, and especially in cloth, um, where if you try to overpower, and you just what I call just shank the ball five feet away from the person, you get called yeah, out anyway. Yeah, so you give yeah, up exactly, possession, yeah, yeah, and you absolutely. give up a uh, player on the field. And, and that's again like teams like we we used to do it with England, and we've stopped it. Like we used to do speed and testing and stuff, and it's kind of like well, actually, yeah, like people focus on power and. You know, until you can hone that in with the accuracy, is that yeah, it's irrelevant. So that's probably up there. Um, underrated skill, um, I think. I think probably two. One would be like um, uh, probably more a mental aspect around kind of court awareness and intelligence. Um, okay. And again, like you know, irrelevant of skill. If you've got someone who's kind of able to read the game on court and kind of like make those tactical decisions irrelevant of how good you are if you can sort of read what's happening and make a play like that's huge um uh because that also helps from a leadership point of view as well um like and then probably from a physical aspect um court movement is probably up there people don't really train it they just they play games like the amount of training sessions that i've been to historically they won't even do drills um where we do very well, we do few games and a lot of drills um, because, again, I'm focusing on performance. Um, so, yeah, I think court movement's a huge thing. You need to be able to get comfortable, not just up and down the court, but in those lateral movements and, you know, getting up in the air, like to be able to comfortably do those kind of things so it just doesn't become kind of strenuous when you try and do it in a tournament or in a competition. So I think that's, that's massively underrated. Um, and, again, that's where a lot of our players are working in the gym um both spartans and england like we expect the players to be doing those kind of works because actually to play at the top level um and play consistently across especially like now you're looking at like a gb um i think they're looking you know what was it when they announced it originally it was going to be like a four-day event or um world historically is it three four four days Foam. Uh, for foam, yeah, it's four days. Yeah, like, you know, so get people to be able to play 
through that. And it's not just about play and perform. It's probably play perform safely because it, it puts a lot of stress through your body. You need of to be course. able to put the work in. So I think that's definitely an element of some players don't work out as much as they should do. But I guess it's also tough because it's not a professional sport. So, you know, I know I ask a lot of my players for what is in theory a, a, a social sport. Um, but then I guess a lot of them enjoy performing and winning as well, which is why they do do it. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, from what I call the state of the game, kind of like it is a lot to ask, uh, considering none of us are really getting sponsored or paid for it. But for that stage, you know, you find out real quick who really want to be there. So, it, you know, it may be a lot to ask, but for the stage that you're coaching at, for the stakes yeah. that you're playing for, it's just another day in the office and you got to treat it as such. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. So, okay. This one is uh, someone decided to add some spice. Uh, we, we call it choosing violence in the States. Emily Walker uh, from Manchester Bees, who we've already hinted at. <laughs> who do you think? Well, I know you can't speak for the women's side of things, so I guess we'll kind of speak for the men. Um, yeah, who do you yeah. think is the most overrated and underrated dodgeball team? I'd, I, well, I'd just say who, whichever team Emily plays for is probably the most overrated. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> no, Emily's a, a great player. Um, I uh, the most underrated team. It's it's hard, but like I've always, like, I remember chatting about this maybe last week or the week before. And I know, like, it, like we obviously in my house, I live with dodgeballers, so we talk a ton of dodgeball. But um, and I've said about Wessex men uh, underrated. Like I, I, I think they're a, cl- a class team, and. Um, you know, you look at them, and uh, to be fair, they've got two players who used to play for me. So, um, like, they're tactically on, like, as a team, they're tactically on point. And you can sort of, I feel like they've, you know, the coaching that probably, or the input that they've had from the two players that were part of Spartans has probably helped um, a little bit, maybe. But they've got some absolute class players, um, and they play as a team, um, and like, they play, they're disciplined, they're well-drilled, they know what they're doing on court. And I think the only thing which sort of is letting them down is just sort of some depth across the throwing power side of things. And I know I just said, well, I threw throwing powers overrated, but, you know, you need accurate players, but also having accurate players who can throw, like, more powerfully enables you to expand your playbook, enables you to sort of be more aggressive, um, which I think that's sort of what they're letting down is they can do a lot of the things really well, but they haven't got that sort of killer aggression to be able to convert to perform at the next level. But you look at how they performed at the weekend like we played them and um yes we beat them but it was still there was still elements of you know we had to still play play well um and then they played storm and storm you know a class team you know you look at the lineup and they've got some new guys in there and um but they they drew with storm which shows you know they're obviously doing something well to be able to bring out that performance hmm. um and, so you said that was the most underrated who's the most overrated yeah, i mean overrated. It's, it's still kind of early because like you said league started yeah, so I don't know. Like you look at what's the table looking like. You have got four teams currently undefeated um, going into it, but you know the only I guess Rangers probably only had the real hard, super hard fixture probably on paper. Um, I don't know. Um, most overrated team historically, I would have said so like a team like Leicester Dodgeball used to be known as Minotaurs, but they sort of reformed. 
Um, they used to have a quite a dominant team, but going into this season, they've had a few mix around. But actually, looking at like one of their guys trains with us, and he's I, I highly rate him, and they've got some really good guys coming through. Um, so you know, they're not going to be looking at a top. I wouldn't say they're looking at a top of the, the you know top half of the the league, but I think they're going to perform um, sometimes. Mm. Um, I, like I said earlier, before we started recording, I think rather than saying it, who's overrated, I think. Some teams need to not kind of pay into the fact that they're going into a game playing a very good team sometimes. I think some some teams or some players give good teams far too much credit um, rather than going in with a blank sheet thinking, doesn't matter who I'm playing, I'm going to put effort on the line. And I think that's probably more important for players to understand is it doesn't matter who you're playing, there's still a chance. Um, yeah. And looking at that, that new House of Dodge... Um, uh, Bevers rating or whatever it is like there's all oh, you know relevant yeah. how good or bad the team is if a team turns up on the day and does the right things you can still beat someone and obviously it's it you know the odds are slightly hot, like they they get like harder and harder or whatever but there's still a percentage there's still a chance so irrelevant of what reputation the team is you're going against you still got to back yourself and you still got to you know work your your ass off and and give it your chance because as soon as you put your head down be like oh we're lining up against you know meteors or whoever it is. You're never going to win if you're going with that kind of attitude. So that's the team being overrated. I think, you know, you've got four teams currently undefeated in the Prem um, or the Super League. Everyone else <laughs> who's then going to go and play needs to be like, I'll just, I don't care, you know. So, yeah. Yeah, you, you mentioned it. Um, you have to go in with a blank slate and there's yeah, four teams 100%. currently undefeated. Um, for me, I kind of look at it like, I, I have a phrase where I always say like, Thunder doesn't always have to strike twice. Yeah. Um, yeah. When, when you play an undefeated team, okay, if they lose once, okay, let it strike twice, beat them again. But if it hasn't struck before, wouldn't it be cool for you to be the first? Well, that's, yeah. you know, that's what um, I was so like, Meteors didn't have Brett last week, like last weekend. So they, in theory, they on paper, they were weaker. I'm so glad they didn't lose because I'm playing them next league me and I want to be the team to beat them. You know, exactly. I want to be the team to beat them. That's what that you know. That's well, we've got three weeks now to work, and you know that's my motivation, and that's definitely the rest of my team's motivation. And you know, I'm sure that's Meteor's motivation as well. Is they're going to go in defending that title, knowing that we want to take it from them. So you know, um, so yeah, they'll definitely. I, I can't see that game being a draw. So I reckon you know, in when the next league results are out, there's going to be one of those two teams with a, a, a nail on their name. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, like I said, you know, if it, if Lightning has if lightning hasn't struck, wouldn't it be cool for you to be the first one to strike it? 100%. So, absolutely. 100%. Um, and yeah, uh, Hots of Dodge, they released like their, uh, for anyone who hasn't, uh, and, I'll, and I'll link it in, when this episode airs, they released uh, kind of like, for anyone who plays League of Legends, they released their own like ELO system. I know it's kind of getting nerdy here. I don't know if anyone else plays outside of me, but um, yeah, you know, you have your higher tier players or your higher ELO teams. And then you have your lower ELO ones, and they kind of gave like a breakdown of um, where the teams are currently, theoretically, and how they came to that conclusion. But ultimately, um, like David just said, you know, you have to play every team with a blank slate because you, know, you could easily beat them if you have the right mindset and right approach. Um, yeah, I'm a bit of a nerd outside of an athlete. I'm a bit of a nerd. So <laughs> because we of all MLB, secretly are, though, aren't we? We're all we all secretly are. Well, I'm not secretly a nerd. I at least admit it. Open. <laughs> There's a difference. Yeah, fair, fair. 
<laughs> so, um, yeah, I was that kid who not only played football, but also had their head in the books, you know, call it balance. Um, so we got into, <laughs> let's get into some of these uh, threads because it was definitely hilarious. How do I say this? In the UK, you call it adding spice. In the United States, we call it choosing violence. This will be a fun question for sure. Catherine Thomas, Emily Walker, are you okay, hon? Emily, yep, not stirring the pot at all. I, I went in and was like, I'll make a deal. If David skips this question, you must answer it whenever I interview. Um, you did not skip this question. Uh, Catherine Thomas, <laughs> uh, to be fair, if this goes secretly bad, I'll fear for my safety in mixed league. Catherine Thomas, hide behind Aiden, you'll be fine. Emily, that never works. He dodges so laterally, so inconsiderate. Zoe Wells, can you piggyback? Um, I just threw in a sarcastic, this thread can be its own episode. Um, Emily Walker agreed to be on a future episode. I told her, just survive till February. I'm so, I am solid protection detail. <laughs> and Catherine Thomas just won me over with the GTA GIF because I love the video game series. Old school GTA, that is as well. Old school GTA, yes. And they're going to remake that, uh, remaster it rather. Remaster, uh, yeah. But yes, that was a whole thread that could have been its own episode. But I just wanted to just highlight that because it was very hilarious. My phone going off at 3, 4 in the morning when she asked this question. My time, not yours. Um, <laughs> so that definitely was fun. Um, so I'm going to ask you something that I've asked every guest uh, this season. And I'm going to ask you the legacy question. So, um, David Poole, how would you like to be remembered once you play and coach your final game? How, how would I like to be remembered, sorry? Yeah. I think I'd just like to be, you know, I think Dodgeball is only going to continue to grow. And especially with it being in Bucks now, it's, I think it's going to continue to, to grow in the UK, you know, quite significantly, I'd like to think. And I've maybe I'll still be coaching for a while, but I'd like to think <laughs> that I have some form of involvement when it, when or if it gets to the Olympics. Um, it'll, it definitely won't be playing by then. Definitely won't be. But I'd like to think I'd be, happy, be able to, you know, say that I was part of that. Um, and I think, you know, as it stands at the moment, I've probably, you know, performed well enough across some of the teams I've played for and teams I've helped coach um, to be at least known throughout the current generation of players for a while. But yeah, I think the involvement, being being able to be involved in an Olympic setup would be huge, um, or Commonwealth, um, if that ever happens. So that's that's definitely a goal or you know an aim for me to be to be able to do that. So I definitely want to touch on a few things. Um, as far as your legacy goes with me, as far as I'm concerned, um, I know I kind of I kind of joked with you throughout the whole episode that you're like the gentle giant. You really are. Um, you're intense on the court, uh, but off of it, if you're brave enough to approach, <laughs> you're you're quite quite friendly. Um, yeah, yeah. And when I first met you in Canik, obviously it was very brief because it was during the British Open, and obviously you were not playing at the time, but you were you know on the sideline just talking. Yeah, um, yeah. There's an element of respect when I saw that huddle uh, with you, Straubs. I think I saw Sam Richards in there, um, just a yeah. litany of names. I can easily tell that the energy shifted towards you. And there's an element of respect that you have that I, that I see and you have with me as well, that a lot of the talented players 
you know, whether they're, you know, they have their strongest arm or the best catch, they all gravitate towards you. You have a sense of leadership that whether you're coaching the team or whether you're in the huddle, like it, your gravitational pull is and influence is strong. And I feel like the impact you'll leave with people out, you know, within Spartans, I think you're going to leave an empowering mark and and an empowering mark regarding accountability, um, doing your job, mastering your profession, obviously you're sticking to brand here. Uh, You're going to leave a solid mark as far as what it's going to take, not just to be a great player for a team, but for a great coach for a team. And I think you've, you've tackled that numerous ways. Um, I, I think you'll be a staple, like say, God forbid, if you were to retire after you play meteors in three weeks, people are going to know who you are. People are going to know yeah. who you are. Um, your name will be synonymous along with Rudland, along with, uh, I think his name is Nick Pinnock. Yeah. Uh, Pinnock, yeah. Yeah, you're 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 gonna be a part of a lineage of not just British dodgeballers, but just European dodgeballers, as far as where your legacy is, your impact, um, and just overall, just who you are, man. Um, I consider interviewing you one of the highest honors I've had, uh, not just for the podcast, but just in general. Um, not only a fan of you and the team, but I like to think that you know, hopefully, we'll crack some beer soon. And you're very yeah, friendly, and I appreciate that. I appreciate so, your comments, man. <laughs> so, you know, I've been doing this this podcast for over a year and a half now. Um, but I would say one of the best highlights I've had is you saying yes to doing this because I definitely consider it an honor to cement your legacy and tell your story. Oh, thank you. And um, I don't know. Maybe I'll try some Jaffrey cake. I guess I don't know. Just, just... When you're over, when you're over in Feb, it's fine. I'll I'll bring some. If, if, <laughs> if I if I forget, Brett will always have them as well. So yeah, Brett Someone will have them. Yeah, yeah. He's he, he's uh, he yeah is, is often found with Jaffrey cakes at the tournament. <laughs> oh, well, I should have I should have hit him yeah. up then for sure. But yeah, I would say you leave an empowering mark with me and. Um, Definitely a strong shadow because you definitely dwarfed me. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, just hopefully it's not your final game. Hopefully you um, do some damage uh, and just end the season. End the season strong, man. Yeah, hundred percent. All I can say for you. And um, yeah, I'm gonna stop rambling because I can <laughs> continuously go on and on. Um, <laughs> so before we wrap this up, would you like to shout out anyone? Any fans, any friends, teammates? No, I probably should. Cause as soon as I say one person, everyone else is going to get offended. So, <laughs> but um, but yeah, um, you know, I'm just uh, I'm just very excited. One for obviously the Spartan season this season across all three of our teams, and I'm also you know gearing up um, in the background really to you know for what England are going to be doing as well. So you know for the players out there who wanted to know you know what's going on, you know obviously. As it stands, I'm, you know, massively involved in the men's side of the England setup. But, you know, it's we're gonna, you know, we are doing things in the backgrounds. Um, you know, I will put my heart and soul into the players that we select. Um, make sure that we, you know, prepare you guys or whoever it is to be able to perform back on court when we do put on the uh, you know, the England kit again. So yeah. Well done. Well done. 
All right. And that was my interview with David Poole. Uh, David, thank you so much for hopping on and sharing with us your story, as well as um, pretty much the numerous hats you wear as a player, as a coach. And that's something I wanted to elaborate on. Um, the one thing I feel about Spartans is that they empower each player uh, through their discipline and accountability. And that's a huge, huge props to David Poole for instilling that kind of culture similar to the warriors of the past. So when people would ask, what's your profession? <laughs> you can definitely say it was inspired by David Poole as well as King Leonidas. Uh, <laughs> that being said, um, that's a classy group right there. And I just want to highlight that. Um, next, my guest will be Dave Prestige. I've had him on um, for the Neutral Zone podcast and now he's going to get his own episode. Hopefully we'll get some banter out of him as well as, you know, overall his, his story with, with the podcast, with this, with this game. And um, let's get some funny questions in, yeah. All right, so if you've listened up to this point, thanks so much and have a wonderful day.